the Spartan Mind Strength Podcast, the podcast for mental grit and resilience. Hosted by V. Binga and Tim Ganley. Hello, everybody. This is V. And this is Tim. And this is episode five of our Spartan Mind Strength Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, we're just going to rant. <laughs> we're going to talk about Spartan yoga versus a lot of other styles of yoga. We just got done interviewing someone that was applying to teach uh, for us, and it was scary. So we're going to talk about why we teach specific things in our classes and why we te don't teach specific things and where the ego kicks in. Okay. If you are willing or inclined to listen to this round, stay tuned. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> this is about the teacher, not the student as much. It's about how you teach your classes. This is how we teach our teachers. And if you are a student and want to hear criticism about teachers, stay tuned. We'll be right back. I have a lot. <laughs> So we teach one specific style of yoga, and we've named it Spartan Yoga. After over 20-some years of practicing and over 17 years of teaching full-time at the studio and internationally, uh, we have come up with our own style of yoga. And so we want to go over a little bit about that to see the difference between what Spartan Yoga is versus what a lot of traditional yoga is. And our studio at, uh, when we closed, held 37 people. Retired the studio. Retired the studio. When we retired it, it was we had it for 17 years. And when we retired it, our studio held 37 people. 34. Yes, but we fit 37. Yes. And that was mm -hmm. pretty much all the time. So when we retired the studio, we had a style that we believe and we seen through people coming in that they loved it. It was a style that kept people all different ages, all different sizes, all different... Physical abilities. Yep. Male and female. It brought in everyone. And so we called it Spartan Yoga. It was in a heated room and we would bring it up to about 102. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the class, we would then drop the heat. But with that, there were certain poses that we would teach, certain poses that we wouldn't teach. So today, basically, we're going to go into why we would teach several of the poses and why we wouldn't. So today is all about yoga. So if you want to hear anything <laughs> else, it's all about yoga. We're going to be talking about the first one is... Bridge versus wheel. Ooh, okay. Tell me about bridge. Okay, the bridge pose. The bridge pose is where you lie on your back, you bring your heels underneath the knees, feet are forward, and everything is hip distance apart. And you lift your butt as high up as you can, 
and arms stay along the side of your body. That's what we call our bridge pose. Arms do not come underneath your back and interlace the fingers on, and all of that. So real quick though is the specifics for that is to target one thing most important. It's all about the glutes. And for anybody that's taken these teacher training, everything is all about the glutes. Because a strong butt has your back. We'll get into that later. But the way we teach the bridge pose is to target the glutes, glute strength. And that's why you don't bring the arms underneath your back and use it as a chest opener. And yes, it can be a wonderful chest opener, but there are a million other poses to target opening the chest. Also, there are, million, there are lots of other poses to target the hamstrings. However, there are very few poses in yoga that target the glutes. And if somebody's going to tell me, oh, you can do that with chair pose, or you can do it with one-legged balancing poses, yes, you can, but what happens when somebody has so weak glutes that they don't even know what it feels like to engage the glutes. Then they end up using hamstrings or quads or even calves and hurt their joints and all that stuff. The most effective pose to target glute strengthening and help people become familiar with what their butt feels like, other than just sitting on it, is bridge. And bridge is an extremely, it's one of our main poses. It's a staple pose for us. Yep. It's like bread and butter. It's so, but we don't do wheel. Yes, we you do wanna... not teach wheel. Uh, the way we look at poses is first of all, when we teach a certain pose, what are we trying to target? Are we targeting strength? Are we targeting mobility? and which body part and then is there a risk of injury and yes there is always a risk of injury lying on your back in corpse pose in savasana you can get hurt there is always risk of injury actually that i see a lot of people yes. don't feel comfortable at all that's why that they pose. bend their knees yep. and um and so there is always risk of injury but the point is how high is it and if something were to go wrong, how wrong would that be? So you have the ratio, the risk of injury versus reward. For will, there is nothing, there is no benefit from the wheel pose that you cannot get with other poses that have a lot less risk of injury. The wheel has a very high risk of injury. It is an extremely high maintenance pose that has zero return. I would say negative uh, you return. Can, if you do use it, you might be able to get a drink at a bar Yeah. by in going the, into wheel. In it looks, it, yep, it looks good on Instagram, and, yeah. but uh, besides that, it really does very little for the body. Yes. And actually, we know a lot of people yeah, that, that have injured themselves exactly. practicing that pose. Yes, because you have 
pretty much every single joint involved and every single when you are in wheel every single joint has to go in a position that's completely the opposite of how you spend the rest of your day so that means that your fascia has to extend in completely opposite way than the rest of the day your muscles tendons ligaments and all that and also you don't know if the shape of your bones allows you wait to... wait what do you mean <laughs> yes there is the shape <laughs> of your bones yeah <laughs> there is such a thing in yoga there is that thing that everybody forgets about and that your bones your bones <laughs> are not going to change their shape. Um, and if you force it, a lot of bad things can happen. Yeah. I remember we had a, a teacher, and mm -hmm. I'm going back to like 2000, 1999, 2000, and she would cry because her guru <laughs> told her that if she could not sit in... Full lotus. She will never find enlightenment. So she would force herself, she would go physically in pain mm -hmm. to get into that pose. And she would she would try to make people stand on her legs. There were all these different things. And she ended up really damaging her hips because she believed that that was the only way she could find enlightenment. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is happening a lot these days. Uh, for example, uh, what going back to Will, what, uh, you know, Tim said that... She, that student had uh, people stand on her uh, thighs to help her open up in full lotus. Well, what happens is something analogous in wheel. A lot of times the teacher or the wannabe guru or whatever Which that, there's a lot that of is, wannabe gurus out there. Um, they, they'll go and grab you from your waist and lift you. And uh, we, we know, we officially know of people who have gotten damaged for the serious damage yes. for years uh, because of um, wheel <laughs> wheel yes exactly wheel and then a down dog also mm -hmm. unfortunately down dog such a basic uh, pose and I call it basic because even everybody knows everybody even, teaches it and everybody teaches it and um, uh, so that leads me to the next pose and the next pose is down dog oh yes good thank you yeah i was hoping we would go there um down dog a very very common uh complaint of uh, wannabe gurus is that oh the student is doing a short dog or whatever i i don't even know how they come up with these labels um down dog there are there are different ways to use down dog and the most uh, common way in commodity yoga is for hamstrings can you explain what commodity yoga is first yes commodity yoga is the yoga that does not follow true human anatomy and physiology that does not study that's the commodity yoga so they get their 200 they might yes. even get a 500 but yet they don't do anything besides those yes, teachers. They do not understand the basic human anatomy and physiology. And we're not saying everybody out there is like that. No. But there is a, as yoga continues to grow and yes. grow, we're seeing more and more teachers yes. not know anything about the body. Exactly. 
so down dog is used for hamstrings in commodity yoga and so ha having said that one of the ba or one of the most common cues is that your heels have to touch the floor and your hands have to be placed a certain way uh, the inside of the elbows the eyes of the elbows have to face a certain way and all of that and even so much so that the teacher will come behind you exactly. grab your hip or push your heels to the ground exactly and they call that what is i don't even remember the term that they use when they put hands on Oh, the hands-on adjustments? Yeah, adjustments. Yes. Oh, we're adjusting you. But in literally, a lot of them are hurting you. Yes. Oh, yes. And I have personal experience with that. And I am still looking for him. Um, and uh, however, down dog can be used as an upper body strengthening pose because by pushing the hands on the floor and pushing the floor away from you you can actually create resistance that helps helps you develop some strength to your upper body and then you don't worry whether the heels touch or not and you don't worry about your hamstrings because again you have other poses that help you extend your hamstrings so instead of working hamstrings on a down dog yes. it would be a lot better to do it on a standing forward fold standing forward a fold. seated forward fold a seated one-legged forward fold what else cat cow yep gotta love cat cow and uh a lot of uh, your power yin poses yes so down dog and actually even in our class we we worked it for strength but since the head is still below the heart yes it it's an inversion perfect and go ahead there is a lot of information out there talking about how bad inversions can be for some people so even in our class we went in and out of down dog very quickly so we didn't stay in inversions we especially in a heated flow. room yep not in the vinyasa flow no <laughs> no <laughs> i have to say that so we would use it just quickly as a transition yep it's a very quick transition in the sun salutations and it's not being held and there is evidence even uh, uh the national institute of health that all you have mm -hmm. to do is look for uh possible yoga injuries mm -hmm. and they talk about it being an inversion yes and for retina uh, for, for the eyes, yes, 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 yes. So you don't know what your clients are like yes. when they come into a class and you start putting them in headstands, handstands, plow, all these inversions and making them hold it for making long periods of time. It. Yes, that's it. So even standing forward fold, you do not want to hold other than a few seconds. No. So in reality, our style at least is more about strength so we're not holding flexibility poses we're just going for mobility we are going for mobility movement within your full range of motion with strength and control that's the definition of mobility excellent so we talked about down dog yes we talked about bridge mm -hmm. what about 
Headstand. We talked about wheel. Yes. Headstand. Ooh, you want to go there? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, headstand is a full inversion where your head touches the ground. You are that not we are not talking about handstand. We are talking about headstand. So that means that the top of your head rests on the ground. Yep. Okay. And when you get into it, what's the benefit of that? Uh, <laughs> well, what people will tell you is, oh, helps you look at the world upside down, uh, helps it you... It changes your perspective. Yes, thank you. That's the poetic way, yes. <laughs> it doesn't change your perspective. No, <laughs> no. Um, it, uh, even if you say, oh, it reverses the blood flow or, okay, do, do it with a milder inversion. Do it with a standing forward fold. Do it with a down dog. There are so many things that can go wrong uh, with a headstand. Going back to your bones again, there is uh, such a concept as proportion. Uh, so think about it. When you're in a headstand, you have, a, actually, stand up. Don't go in a headstand. You stand up and you extend your right arm all the way up. And then bend the arm at the elbow. And then see if your elbow goes above your head or below your head. For some people, the elbow will go above their head. But for a lot of people, the elbow will be below the top of their head. What that means, if the elbow is below the top of your head, it means that when you are in a headstand, a lot of your weight, most of your weight, will be supported at the top of your head, which means that puts compression on your neck. And if you don't have a real strong neck. And if you don't have a really strong neck or a strong enough core mm -hmm. to... If you can't hold plank. If you can't hold plank for long, off your knees for longer than two minutes comfortably, you, it means that your poor head, neck, is going to absorb all of that weight. And then Tim said if you don't have in, a strong enough neck. Also, if the shape of your spine, of your cervical spine, is not as perfected as it should be, that puts even more compression on your cervical spine. Forget what happens on your shoulders and all that stuff. So, uh, you are actually a very serious injury waiting to happen. Uh, forget the pressure on your eyes and all that. And Even though you shouldn't forget the pressure okay, on the yes, eyes. Yes, I'm saying, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Forget the forget part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, what happens is, it's a matter of time before something detrimental happens. And what people forget is that it's a matter of time. So bad things may not happen right here, right now. They may not happen in a month. 
But in a couple of months or a couple of years, if you keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it without working on figuring out whether you should be doing it or not, and I don't know why you would want to do it anyway, but it's a matter of time. So, and also a lot of nowadays it's, it's on Instagram all the oh time. Oh my goodness. Everybody's got to do a headstand. Yes. On in, in fact, I see headstand addicts. Headstand addicts is one of the hashtags that so many people use. And we know yes. that people become addicted oh, yeah. to those. We had a student that um, waiting in front of the studio, she would put her mat down and go in a headstand while waiting for class. Because or she talk, couldn't. While talking she, yep, to us. Because she couldn't just talk to you. She had yes. to go. So can you get a little bit in the Ayurveda aspect Yes. of why are people addicted to headstands? Uh, because they have uh, imbalances, <laughs> dosha imbalances. Um, okay, there is, in uh, Ayurveda, there is the concept of the uh, Vata constitution or the Vata bioenergy. The Vata bioenergy is all about movement. And the two main elements in that bioenergy are ether and air or space and air. And Vata is supposed to have a certain flow within our body, mind, and emotions. And uh, most of that flow is supposed to include downward movement. And if that downward movement is not happening, appropriately a lot of that of that space and air starts to accumulate in our head and then we develop mental and emotional imbalances we are too much in our head having said that forcing inversions without also doing the corresponding grounding poses so just forcing and forcing inversions you are just forcing that space and air space and air that vada bioenergy to accumulate in the upper part of your body which is your head so you are reinforcing an addiction and you cannot tell me Oh, my body knows. I know what's good for me. Because when you are after a certain point of derangement, when you have reached a certain point of imbalance, your body doesn't know what's good for you. In fact, it goes against. In fact, it, it craves what keeps you further out of balance. So let me get this right. So in Ayurveda and Raja Ayurveda, mm-hmm. both talk about when you're in balance you crave things that keep you in balance yes when you are balanced so when you are balanced you crave things that keep you balanced but when you're out of balance you crave things that continue to bring you out of balance exactly and that's what happens that's why you have headstand addiction on instagram and i also want to bring in something that uh, i've seen a lot over the years, and I know you've probably seen it also, is the people that have to do the headstands, have to do the inversions, have to do that, 
isn't the rest of their life is a lot of out of balance also. Yes, it is. Yeah, it, it is. They're the ones that freak out quickly. They're the yes. ones that get upset fast. Yes. They're the ones that are usually... Yes, that they are. They cannot control their thoughts and their emotions. And if you cannot control your thoughts and your emotions, you are addicted to them. That's why you are addicted to the headstands that keep your thoughts and your emotions out of control. Excellent. We'll be back with another post. Do you like what you hear? The Spartan Mind Strength Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and all other popular podcast destinations. Please subscribe today and consider leaving us a rating and review. It helps us spread the word and help others find our content. Don't forget to leave a comment and any questions you may have. Tim and V would love to hear from you. And we're back. So, and I use words so uh, I'm working on not using yeah, the word so Talking about much. addiction. Uh-huh. I'm addicted to so. Uh-huh. What can you do if you are addicted to headstands, inversions? Is there, or are you just, go you, cut your head off? Yeah, you are not so well. Um, the first step is recognizing. You're recognizing that weakness, recognizing that addiction. And then deciding, deciding whether you want to fix it or not. (laughs) You want to recognize that, but then decide if you want to fix it or not. And if you say, well, I don't want to fix it, then fine, don't do anything about it. But if you decide you want to fix it, it's very easy. It's extremely easy. You do your headstand or whatever type of inversion you are doing. And then after that, do some one-legged balancing poses. Uh, one, one tree, tree uh, Shiva, Shiva, warrior three, mm-hmm. dancer if you want, half moon, half moon, do a one-legged uh, deadlift squats. flow, yep. one-legged squats. All that, our Kali dance, Uh Flamingo dance, uh, toy soldiers, uh, anything. Anything that kicks in one leg because the one leg is... The most grounding pose is anything that involves one-legged standing balancing, period. And you're going to notice the difference. You can decide to do this for a week. You can decide to do it for a month, but you're going to notice the difference and you will love the results. Very good. So one of the things, so one of the things, so one of the things is that uh, what we're talking about is how we teach our teachers to teach yoga. We don't really care if you're a teacher and you want to do it or a student and you really want to do these poses it's all up to you you know your body what we're talking about is literally walking into a studio into a class with a group of people that you may or may not know if you don't know them and you start teaching all of these poses that we just talked about as being dangerous you might end up injuring someone actually it's not you might end up you will 
end up injuring someone. If you are doing a class that you know everyone in it, but you don't know really what happened last yesterday to them. So again, you may end up injuring them. So one of the things, so again, mm -hmm. one of the things is that teaching group classes is actually a very new thing. Up until not even 100 years ago, it was all basically one-on-one. -on -one. And then they would do a Mysore, where they did their own practice with the person watching, but yet it was their own practice. Today is so much different than it was 80 years ago, 50 years ago, yes. where it was literally one-on-one. -on -one. Now we're teaching one teacher to 50 students, 70, 90. There's a lot of people, and you really want to look at making sure that everybody leaves safe, leaves healthy. Leaves empowered. And it is extremely egotistical to think that you know your student's body. It is extremely egotistical to assume that you know the student's body. And please don't tell me that, oh, if they keep practicing, they'll get there. Because they don't have the right tools to get there. Because... A, a successful headstand, if your bones allow it, requires extreme core strength. And 99% of the students in your class, you included, don't have that core strength. A simple test is can you hold the plank properly, properly and, comfortably. and comfortably for over two minutes without having to go on your knees? Yes. So there is a lot of things that you can teach in a class Yes. that will let your students leave empowered. Yes. Will let them leave feeling great. Yes. Will let them leave wanting to come back. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get a little bit of business every now and then I do that. <laughs> There's certain things that scare people away from taking yoga. Yeah. One of them is making them or showing them things that they feel unempowered. Is that yes. a proper word? Or is that a timism? <laughs> That's a timism. Yep. Where they don't feel... Um, yes, empowered. They feel... Like a failure. A failure, yes. So if you get them feeling great, they're going to come back yes. again and again and again. Yes. And that's what Spartan Yoga does, is it lets the client feel empowered. Yes. We did a uh, YouTube, actually we did the YouTube in Sparta, well, no, not in Sparta, where the 300 mm -hmm. and the 7,000. 700 thespians. Well, they died there, the 700 died yes. there, but there was Oh some, yeah, they, there were was, a few, they were thousands. Yeah, yes. there were thousands of thespians mm -hmm. there also that fought in yes. that war. Yes. And so we did it because that showed the community. Yes of the Spartans and the Thespians, of what they gave up for their family, for their community. And teaching yoga is also about giving up your ego in order to assist the community to become a healthier community. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all about the student. It's all about the student leaving, having accomplished something them saying, oh, wow, 
I didn't know I could do this. So, <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. We're going to be heading to Florida tomorrow and heading to Greece before you listen to this. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Send us all your questions, complaints, comments, anything. We would love to hear from you. Much, much love from both of us. Namaste, Namaste Kala. If you found today's show helpful, please give us a rating, a review, or both. And subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. As always, Namaste Kala, which in Greek means, may we all be well. This program, Copyright True Fitness Incorporated, all rights reserved.